Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. turn to Leviticus. We are working our way through Leviticus these last few weeks. We're up to chapter 11 through 15. So if you want to turn to Leviticus chapter 11, we'll do some moving around. Again, I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles with you. And if you do not have a Bible, please let me or Dustin know. And we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. Approach with obedience and reverence as we look at Leviticus, Leviticus chapters 11 through 15. Have you ever heard these phrases? No shoes, no shirt, no service. So some of you have. Maybe you've heard these words, maybe from a parent. Don't come in here with those shoes on. Ever hear that one? Or how about you may now approach the bench. Most likely all of us, one time or another, have heard such statements during our lifetime. And we know exactly what they mean. Restaurants, stores, and other businesses place an emphasis on hygiene and cleanliness. And they're not going to let you in if, if you're not covered up. Moms who have just cleaned the floor and don't want it to get dirty again from kids trapping in the mud and the dirt. Or a judge who allows only those that are qualified, who understand the law and the language, to approach him in order to discuss legal issues. Well, in last week's passage, we examined the second temporary solution to God's redemption plan to redeem humanity from sin, from the penalty of sin, and to reconcile all of humanity back to his favor. That solution was the institution and ordination of the priesthood. Now, this priesthood, as you may recall from last week, included the high priest along with those who would assist him in his duties. In Leviticus chapter 10, we read that as a mediator between God and the children of Israel, those duties were to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean, and to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So they had an important role in the redemption plan of God. So God ordains Moses, Moses' older brother, excuse me, Aaron, as the high priest, and his four sons, Aaron that is, to assist him. And demonstrating that God's call to obedience and worship is important, Aaron's two oldest sons were killed by fire from heaven for disobedience and offering up unauthorized or strange fire, that which God did not command them to do. Now, but what we saw, though, that was that the high priest is just temporary. It could not fully bring forgiveness of sin, nor bring us into the presence of God. But yet, it pointed to something much greater, did it not? That of Jesus Christ, who becomes, who became, I should say, our great high priest. And scripture tells us that Jesus is the great high priest who offered a perfect sacrifice for sin by dying for us himself to satisfy the wrath of God. He did it also by continually bringing us near to God, by knocking down the partition or that that wall that kept us from going into the holy of holies or into the presence of God and 
importantly as well, by continually praying for us and serves as our advocate against the accuser, the adversary of God, Satan himself. Now, as we come in today's passage, we come to the third temporary solution in God's redemption plan, and that is that of the purity laws. This is one of those passages of scriptures that we tend to glaze over or skip because it just seems so out of place for you and I. But in Leviticus chapter 11, look at verse 44. It's also on the monitor for us. We see this summary of one portion where God says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defy yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls in the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And so, Father, we come before you recognizing that as we said here this morning, after singing your praises, listening to the reading of Scripture, listening to the pastor's prayer, where we're lifted up into your presence, that we are not holy. Our own hearts betray us. In the dark night of our soul, we know that we feel unclean. Father, we feel unworthy to come into your presence. But Father, as we read this portion of Leviticus, one in which many times, including myself, we skip over, we see that the gospel is even here. Father, that you're in the business of making that which is unclean, clean. That which is impure, pure. That which is rejected, accepted. So Father, so we stand here this morning asking for you to open our minds and hearts that the Spirit may come and apply the words and that we may respond to your word with gladness and with joy and with obedience. Be with me as I speak. Let me speak words that are edifying. Let us know the difference between my mere opinion and, Father, the word of truth. Lord, that you may be glorified and that you may do your good work, that we may be complete, mature in you. We thank you for this opportunity. Let us make the best of it in your name. Amen. What we read in this passage is very important. Leviticus 11, 44 through 45. For it is here we come to understand the very essence and the character of God and a very stark description of humanity. There's several things that stand out in this passage. First, Yahweh, God, is their God. Yahweh is holy. Yahweh, I use Yahweh in here because it's his personal name. But also, thirdly, that Yahweh delivered them from slavery in Egypt so that he, that God, Yahweh, might be the supreme object of their admiration so that they may turn their hearts and their eyes and worship him for their redemption. But also, because of that, God makes these statements, I am your God, I am holy, and you're to worship me because of what I've done for you. He also then commands them to consecrate or to set themselves apart, to not defile themselves of some things he's going to give them here in a minute, and also to be holy. Now, you and I understand that phrase, be holy, for I am holy, because we just went through Peter just last year, and we recognize that that call to holiness is not just for an ancient people in a land far, far away, in a faraway time, but it is here for you and I today as we sit here. We're to be holy. 
The commands in Leviticus chapters 11 through 15 has been called the holiness code and for good reason and rightfully so. For here Yahweh is going to give Moses instructions concerning the regulations for what is clean and unclean, for what is pure and impure, and the treatment for when someone becomes unclean and impure. So let me just give you some summary, a quick summary and some facts here of this passage, and then we'll get into a little bit more of the meat. Well, again, we're going to see the repeating of the phrase. And I think as you've been reading, I want to encourage you, read through Leviticus with us. I think you'll find it more meaningful as you come in here. You'll find your, your minds and your hearts more prepared. But as you're reading that with me, you're going to see the phrase, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying. Have you seen that? And the Lord spoke to Moses saying. That's a repeated phrase, meaning that these instructions, these commands, and these warnings are from God himself and are to be heeded. Seven times in the passage that we're reading this week, Moses writes, this is the law for. This is the law for, meaning that these instructions carry the weight of expectation with penalties for failure to comply by being cast out of the camp for a period of time. Now, chapter 11 details the purity rites in diet concerning land and water, water animals, insects and birds. Now, I don't know about you, but birds and insects are at least two of the things that I want to eat. And to be honest, I really don't eat uh, uh, water animals unless it's tuna. And that's the chicken of the sea, but uh, that's beyond the point. So I'm pretty much covered in a lot of these things other than, you know, some of the things that we obviously enjoy. But he gives them some purity rite rituals in diet. He also gives, the, in chapter 12, he details the purity rituals in giving birth. He then, in chapter 13, he de details purity rituals for skin diseases. And 14, he details the cleansing rituals for those who have skin diseases. So if you have it, this is what you're to do. This is how you solve it. And then chapter 15, the last chapter in our passage, it details the purity rituals for bodily discharges, just the normal things of life. And what we learn in this passage is that the children of God are to obey God. Now listen to this. What we're seeing in these pages, in this passage, is that God is calling Israel to obey even in the mundane periods of their life, the mundane areas of their lives. In other words, there's not one area of Israel's life that God does not say, that's mine. You need to glorify me and obey me in this small area. Now, obviously that goes without any editorial that God does, does so today as well, just in a little different way. Summary of the things that they were to avoid were eating unclean animals. And in that picture, you'll see a picture of what they were not to eat and what they were able to. Contact with bodily fluids, touching mold, touching dead bodies and having a skin disease or some types of things from leprosy to just uh, ingrown type hairs and things of that nature. Dr. John MacArthur notes that the prescriptions for uncleanness are covered in this section. God uses the tangible issues of life, which he labeled either clean or uncleaning, to repeatedly to impress upon Israel, to impress upon Israel the difference between what was holy and what is unholy. Now, clean simply means acceptable to God and unclean means unacceptable to God. Now, the purpose of these rituals is found in Leviticus 15. If you're there in Leviticus, turn to 15 real quickly, verse 31 
where we see the purpose of these rituals. God says, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. Remember, we've talked about this uh, last year when we talked about Exodus and the tabernacle, how the glory of God came and how the children of Israel were able to come and to worship and to celebrate God's presence among them. And so tabernacle or temple worship, if I use the word temple, please just understand I'm just, they're synonymous in a way. Uh, two different types of things, but tabernacle is, the, is that temporary setting that they had in, in the tent of meeting. But here we see that the tabernacle was a place where they were, it was a privilege to come and worship God. But to do so, to come and to sacrifice, all those sacrifices that we looked at uh, two weeks ago, they had to come as being clean. And we're going to look a little bit more as we go this. He says that it's in your midst and you must not defile my tabernacle, my worship. You see, the children of Israel were, were to make a distinction between what was ordained and unclean. Now, you might remember that word distinction from our scripture reading with Peter. They were to make a distinction between what was ordained clean and unclean. The question you may ask is, well, who gets to decide what is clean or unclean or pure and impure? I don't, I don't remember a vote here. You know, when did they get to, to vote on that? Well, they didn't. God just declared it. And some of it's difficult. He declared bacon unclean. I don't know how one does that, but God ordains that to be. And again, God just sets and he, and he almost seems to us arbitrarily to, to make some things clean and unclean. Well, this leads us to the third point as we've been working through Leviticus. There's five major points as we've been looking through this book. And here's the third one as we're in our third week of this. That Leviticus explains as we go to the, it should be on the monitor here, that the third point of Leviticus, Leviticus is that it explains what God requires of those who approach him in worship. And I want to just park here just for a moment is that God, keep this up here for a moment, is that God has an expectation for his children who come to him and worship. Now in Leviticus, it's going to be these rituals, these purity rituals. For you and I, God has an expectation when you came here this morning. Not only is this morning, but really 24-7, as you come to him and worship, there are expectations of how you are to approach him. So God requires of those who approach him in worship, Leviticus explains that as far as ancient Israel. One theologian notes that in Exodus 24, going back to our book that we looked at last year, that Moses consecrated Israel as God's people on the basis of the covenant at Sinai. We remember that, the blessings and the cursings of the commandments. Now, here in Leviticus, God explains how consecrated Israel, how redeemed, set-apart Israel should live this set-apart life in order that they may approach him in worship. This passage emphasized the distinction between the unclean and the clean, the holy and the, con and the common. Those who were unclean could not associate with the public and they could not worship God. I don't know if that struck you as you read through that passage, but they were cast out of the camp, away from their families, their friends, maybe their spouses and their children. Those who they could not associate with the public, they could not worship, they could not come to the tabernacle, but provision was also made so that the unclean could be made unclean or clean. And we'll look at that in a moment. While we may not know exactly why the theologian notes, 
why such laws were given outside of distinguishing Israel from the surrounding nations, we do know this, that the obedience to the laws allowed God's people to approach him in worship. And that's so important. Still, there were those who would never be clean. As you read that passage, you might have noticed that. And they could never approach God in worship. What a terrible story to never be able to approach God. But there was those who by birth or circumstance could not. Furthermore, anyone who touched something or something unclean would also become unclean, whether uh, purposely or incidentally. Another theologian remarks concerning this passage that Yahweh makes distinctions on earth. Make that important. Yahweh, God, makes distinctions on earth even today. He does not treat all nations the same. Rather, he has chosen, speaking here specifically of, of the Hebrew children, he has chosen one nation to be a special people and they must therefore be distinct from all the other nations. They had to be different and they had to be holy. Why? Because the God they worship was holy. He is giving them commands so that in their everyday lives, they will be reminded again and again they are a holy nation set of people. So even in the mundane uh, order of their life was to be a constant reminder that they were set apart. No longer are they to live just like everyone else, eat what everyone else ate without any thought of their uniqueness in the world. But Yahweh is now written into their very culture that wherever they turn, they were reminded of their distinct status and their call to be holy. When they eat, they are reminded not all things on the earth are the same and that we too as a people are not the same as everyone else for everyone else does not know Yahweh and they cannot approach God. So there is this issue in which they are a special privileged people. Not everyone is in a covenant relationship with God. If you read chapter 11, you'll see that when things are called unclean, and this is important, they are often not just called uncleaned, as if, hey, bacon is unclean because there's some sinful inheritance in that, in that pig or in that pork, but that it's unclean to you or it's uncleaned for you. So it doesn't make that animal an anathema to someone else that is not an ethnic national Israelite. But for them, they are unclean specifically for you, my special people. And in this chapter, this language of clean and unclean continues. Even within the people of Israel, there are people who are clean and those that are unclean. And they were to make distinction even between their brothers and sisters and their cousins and wives and husbands. It seems like the holier you are, the closer you can come to worshiping the God of Israel, just as Israel is the most holy nation on the earth for they are the closest in relationship with Yahweh. Again, these regulations were instructions for God's chosen people. And they were designed to remind them that they are to be separated from the nations around them. It was to be a constant daily reminder that we are different, that we are distinct, that we are God's children. And in order to approach God and worship in a tabernacle, they're reminded once again that they are to be clean and pure. They could not worship at the tabernacle, uh, just what's the word I'm looking for, just uh, flippantly, without any thought. These regulations were an ethnic, national, and cultural expectation. 
It was for the nation of the Jews, the ethnic children of Abraham, the Hebrews, the cultural expectations. As in most passages of this kind, we see both law and the gospel, and I hope you see that. You see the law is demonstrating the commands of the purity laws. Do not eat this. Avoid this. Do this. And the penalty. If this person is this way, then they are cast out of the camp until. But also the gospel is painted beautifully in this passage as is shown as God provides way for those who are unclean or impure to then become pure and clean. There were a few in which that would become their life, but there were many from the normal, regular Israelites. There was a way to make themselves ceremonious clean and come back into the camp and come back into the worship of God. They were able then once again to approach God. That's the gospel for you and I, for God now today. What is the gospel? As ambassadors, we are reconciling God or man back to God. That is our message, the fragrance, the aroma of Christ as we share with them. Be reconciled with God. You too are are unclean, but you can become clean. Take your Bibles. I want to give you some examples very quickly. In Judges chapter 14, let me give you an example of one who failed in avoiding these things and following the commands. You're familiar with Samson. One day Samson went down with his father and his mother to a city. And they came to a vineyard and behold, there was a young lion that was coming at him. And the scripture says the spirit of the Lord was rushed upon him in chapter 14 of Judges. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. And I'm thinking, I don't even think I could tear a young goat. So I'm just out of trouble. But it says he did not tell his mother or father what he'd done. He went and he saw the woman. She was right in his eyes. But look at verse 8. After some days of chapter 14, Samson returned to take the young woman. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Now, you might remember from your reading that they were not to touch that which was dead. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. In verse 9, we read that Samson then scraped it out of his hands and went on eating as he went. He becomes unclean. And he came to his father and mother, and he gave some to them. He now makes them unclean. Isn't that what sin does? You think you're involved, you think it's just you, but eventually it affects others. And they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped from the honey from the carcass of the lion. The famous story, we understand this. Samson goes on and does many other things he's not supposed to. But then if you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel, just a couple pages, uh, a little bit further, in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel. And you see David, in this point, David and his mighty men are running from Saul. Saul is trying to kill him. And David goes to Nob, a city of Nob, and he goes to Amalek, the priest. And then there, Amalek comes to meeting David trembling. He's afraid. He, He knows Saul is looking for David. And he knows that if he helps David, that it could cost him his life. And eventually it does. He asked David, why are you alone and no one with you? And David said, well, the king has charged me with the matter and said to me. So David really here is kind of telling a lie, to be honest with you. So we're at 1 Samuel chapter 21. He says, let no one know anything of the matter which I send you and which I've charged you. He says, I'm on a secret message and I have an appointment with young men for such and such a place. But look at verse uh, 3. He goes, but what do you have on hand? My men are hungry. 
Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you have. We're hungry. The priest answered David in verse four, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If you young men have kept themselves from women, Leviticus 11 through 15, and David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always. When I go on an expedition, the vessel of the young men are holy, even when it's ordinary. Now, is there wrong in doing it? No, he goes, but if you're going to approach that holy bread, you have to obey these laws. And then one of these things, David says, we have kept ourselves so he's clean. So you have a positive and negative example in scripture as as you read through it, you'll see people who are clean and unclean. And many times they're working themselves in transition from one to the other. Yet, like the first two solutions, though, as we continue on to God's redemption plan, remember we, the, purity, or the, the ritual sacrifices was plan number one uh, or, or step number one. Step two was the ordination of the high priest. The thirdly is the purity laws. These purity laws and rituals are temporary and imperfect. The purity rituals were limited only to the children of Israel. It was not for those who were not of Israel, not for those who were of Egypt or any of the other countries. It could not cleanse the conscience of those who actually uh, were obedient to those washings and to those avoidances. It could not make the heart clean from all the impurity and uncleanness but also it led to a works righteousness. It led to a cultural pride that we are different. And so this is what we will not eat. And this is what we will not tolerate. So it led to that. We see that very clearly if you would take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 24 or 25, in this passage, Jesus condemns the Pharisees for what they perceive as their obedience to God and a source of pride. So as they're approaching this now a thousand or years or so later, they have taken these rules, these holiness code, these purity laws, and they've add on to them so much more and it become a source of pride. We're following God by distinguishing and making distinctions of being set apart. But look what Jesus says to them in verse 25 of Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside, outside may also be clean. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautifully, but within are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. So in verse 28, you also, you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of what? Hypocrisy and lawlessness. What is God saying? You're approaching God in the temple in pride. You think you are clean because you're father-in-law. And not only that, you've added on to the regulations and you're, you're, you're forcing others to join it, but yet you really are not clean. So what we see is that these purity laws, this holiness code that was law for the Jews, really didn't accomplish a full redemption. That's why it's temporary. It was just a place marker for something much greater. These purity laws were temporary, and they pointed to something, someone much greater, Jesus. One theologian notes, and you'll see this quote on the monitor, 
that Leviticus, as you and I read Leviticus, it's not just a book of old laws and books of old ordinances that are weird and strange to us, that are culturally disconnected, but it causes us to long for one who will make all things clean. It makes us to one long for one who is able to be willing and able to approach God in worship. And you say, well, how does it make one long for that? Well, let me ask you, could you imagine being one of those ancient people of Israel, maybe even today, and you had to live your life by avoiding certain foods? What foods today are you eating that you would have to give up today? I'm just asking, is peanut butter included? I don't know. I hope so. That's pretty much my standard diet. But there is much that would be very difficult. How would you live your life if you had to every day remind yourself, I have to clean this and clean that. Oh my goodness, a woman, uh, you know, she would have a difficult time in this type of environment. Men and women both. Just in our normal days of life. And all of a sudden you've got an ingrown hair or some other type of thing and all of a sudden you're outside of the camp and you had to leave your city, your home, and your family. Could you imagine the loneliness of those people who were cast out of the camp? Walking around crying, unclean, unclean. The voices of the children. Daddy, daddy, where's mommy? Where's mommy? She can't come home right now. Or maybe the mother who grabs the hands of her little children heading for the tabernacle. Oh, where's daddy? Is he going to help us with the lamb? Your father can't join us today. They're outside the camp. Your father, your mother is unclean. Could you imagine living your life with that type of burden? That'd be difficult. I don't know about you, but I live today just this week and I long for heaven. Why? Because I know that God has paid the penalty of sin. I've been delivered from the penalty of sin. I've been delivered from the power of sin. But like you, I'm still living, dealing with, with the presence of sin and of cleanness and impurity in my life each and every moment. And I long for one who can take care of that. And one day, the greatest thing about heaven is not only being with Jesus, but being delivered from the presence of sin. What was the one song that we were singing? I think it was, uh, uh, was it the new one about the battle? That he's there during the battle? I mean, do you ever get exhausted from the battle with sin? And if you don't, are you even fighting it? Are you even aware of it? This is what Leviticus is sharing us. It's given us who peoples whose lives are dramatically changed in one hour as the Lord spake to Moses. Moses turns to the people and says, this is the law for If you haven't read through Leviticus 11 through 15, do so this week as we go into 16. Because you will not understand Leviticus 16. By the way, I'm excited. Because God and God's providence, Leviticus 16, lands on first Sunday when we're taking communion. Leviticus 16 is the pinnacle 
of the Old Testament, of the, of the, of the Pentateuch. It's a day of atonement. But you will not understand it until you could read through 11 through 15. And I know it's going to be difficult. But I encourage you to read through it and look at their daily life. To be un become unclean, which would mean constant and would require a separation from your family and friends. And you could not come back into the camp. You could not come back to your own home. You could not come back to your family until a priest said you could. But let me tell you, Christ came to do away with all of that. And you can say amen at any of those pauses there. Jesus, Jesus get his name right here, Jesus boldly declares in Matthew 5, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. You see, indeed, Christ, instead, he came to do what the law of the regulations could not do. Make one clean and pure so that we can approach God. And even though they were able to do that outwardly, they could not do it inwardly. And we know through scripture that God eventually reveals to them progressively that it's not the outside that needs to be clean, but what? The inside. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. And I have not said this a while in a public setting, so I will say it. This is a favorite, famous portion of scripture. One of my favorites. If I had to have a key verse, this would be it. Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 13. You've heard this from me many times. It says, you who were dead in your trespasses and sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God has made alive together. If you haven't underlined that in your Bible, do so. There in an Ephesians says the same thing, but God made alive. Greatest phrase in scripture. He's made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, our uncleanness, our impurities. How? By canceling that record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. In other words, we no longer are outside the camp. We are no longer walking around having to say unclean. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. It is finished. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. What does that mean? He, he, he destroyed, he disarmed all uncleanness. But look at verse 16. This one I don't usually go over. Therefore, because of what Christ has done on the cross, he said, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink, speaking of the holiness gold, or with regard to festival or new moons or Sabbath. We haven't looked at that. We will in several weeks. But he says in verse 17, these, these holiness colds, these Purity, purity laws are just a shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. You see, Jesus proclaimed to his disciples that the law could not cleanse a person's heart. It could not provide a clean or clear conscience. But in Mark 7, Jesus declared that all foods are now clean, remarking that what causes sin is from the heart and not from the mouth. What comes out of a person, Jesus said, is what defiles him. 
For within the heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And because of these things, we cannot approach a holy God. Jesus demonstrated his power and the abolishment of these purity regulations. When in compassion, he touched a leopard in Matthew chapter 8 who yearned for a miracle. You see it where Matthew writes, Behold, a leper came to him. Remember, he's outside the city. A leper who had to walk around saying, Unclean, unclean. He said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This is a life sentence to him. This is not one of the instances where he just has a little hair that's, that's red and goes away. This is just a skin rash. He was permanently cast out. And Jesus stretched out his hand, and this is one of the most important parts of this passage, and touched him. Now remember in Leviticus 11 through 15, what happened if you touched a leper? You became unclean. You became cast out of the camp. You could not sacrifice or approach the tabernacle. Jesus said, I will be clean. Jesus touched him. Like this leopard who now could confidently approach the priest and once again join in worship in the temple, the Bible tells us that those who are being redeemed by the obedience of Christ can now draw with confidence to the throne of grace because we receive mercy and we find grace and help in time of need. You and I are able to approach God in worship. Now this cleansing does not come from observing purity rituals and avoiding certain foods. But it comes by faith. Galatians chapter 3, it's here on the monitor. That faith is in Christ. Paul writes, now before faith came, we were held captive. And I think that's, a, that's, a, that's an apt word. You were held captive under the law, imprisoned until coming faith. Their lives were difficult until that faith, coming faith would be revealed. So then the law, though, was our guardian. They were to accept it as a guardian until Christ came in order that we may be justified, made right by God with faith. Not made right by a priest, but made right by God. Now, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under that guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. In other words, there's something much greater. Paul would write to Titus, for we ourselves once were foolish and disobedient, led astray, slave to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envying. We were unclean. We were impure. Even this week, maybe even this morning, you face yourself with an uncleanness and impurity in thought, in motive. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to God's own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's how you and I have been made clean. When he poured out us richly through, through Jesus Christ, so that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let me make a transition here. I think you understand. 
They were to make distinctions so they could approach a holy God. It was a reminder that they had to continually clean themselves from their impurities. But yet it could not do what it was intended to do. It never meant to. It was to point to someone greater, something greater, who would come and cleanse us, not just from our outwardly uncleanness, but from the impurities in our hearts. And you and I have much to praise God and be thankful for as we read and consider Leviticus and the gospel. Though you and I have been washed by the blood of Christ, and I pray that when I say you and I, that you have. If not, I call on you today. Today is the day of salvation. Would you turn, repent from your dead sins, and turn to Christ? Though we've been washed by the blood of Christ and stand forgiven and reconciled, God does still have requirements for his covenant redeemed people. Remember, he gave this to a covenant redeemed chosen people. And you and I many times say, well, all we have to do is just ask for forgiveness. We get our get out of hell free card. We get fire insurance. And then I don't have anything else to do. But God says, no. Just as Israel was a redeemed, chosen people who were distinguished and make distinctions, we are called to as well. God still has requirements that you and I are to obey. As we noted in our study of 1 Peter last year, the command to be holy still stands. Those obedient children do not be conformed to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who has called you be holy, you be holy. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And just like Israel as children of God, you and I are to distinguish what is clean and unclean. This means in our entertainment, the way we spend our money, the people we, hand, we hang with, all the things that we do in the mundane areas of our life are to be clean and pure. The Apostle Paul warned the church of Corinth that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, do not be deceived. That which is sexually immoral, nor idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, or sinners, will, or swindlers, excuse me, will inherit the kingdom of God. Let me share with you, they are cast out of the camp. He warns them, do not be as them. But Paul reminds them in the gospel and the power of Christ to cleanse us in the washing of the Holy Spirit when he says, and some were such of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You and I, for those of us who have turned and put our trust in the works of Christ, that God has accepted them, you and I can now approach with confidence God in worship. Paul writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, that the scripture, all scripture, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training righteous. Why? So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That was what the purity laws were. That's what the sacrifices were. That was the ordained priest. And as we look at the festivals, all of those things were so that Israel can come before God. But now he says, I've given you something much greater. I've given you greater laws that are that. I've given you the gospel, the grace of God. 
and he's encouraged them in their, uh, to be complete and equipped. He says he encourages them with this challenge. Do your best to present yourself to God as one who is approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. As you come to worship this morning, as you come to worship next week for when we take communion, when you worship as you wake up in the morning, are you doing your best to show yourself as one who's been approved by God? Not in your righteous works, but in your trust and faith in Christ and just in the regular obedience of reminding ourselves that what I watch, I'm a child of God. I need to make distinctions and distinguish between that which is good and that which is evil. It calls us to do so today. How we spend our money, how we do these things. Why do you and I need to be reminded of this? that we're to make ourselves approved unto God? Why is it that we need to make ourselves remember these things? Well, the Apostle John warns us, encourages us in 1 John chapter 4. If you're quick, you can get there. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, and we're in with this. But if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But in verse 7, if we walk in the light as he in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses from all sin. What does that mean? You and I can be in the camp. We can worship and approach God. In verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no longer going to the priest for Jesus is that high priest. Then he ends, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So these regulations that God gives us today is not avoidance of food or not touching unclean things or not touching this or that. But it's just in the word of God of be holy, making distinctions, making, distinguishing between what is good and what is evil. As children of God, you and I are still called to distinguish between the clean and the unclean, the pure and the impure, avoiding and abstaining from all appearances of evil. Now, as your pastor, I've never made rules. We don't make rules of what you're to do and what not to do. You're a child of God and your conscience minds you to the word of God. There are some things that are pretty obvious and there's some things that is a matter of conscience and faith, but I'll call you to this. Follow him in obedience Make distinguishing distinctions between what is good and what is evil. We live in a world today that is a Romans 1 type of world. They're calling what is evil good and calling what is good evil. Let's not fall into that. That's why they were to be different from the nations. May God grant you a greater measure of faith that you might be holy or that you might boldly, excuse me, obey God's word and living a life of holiness, regardless of the circumstances of doing so or the consequences of that. Every head bowed and every head closed as the worship team comes up. I just want you to take a moment to pause and to consider what has been shared here in Leviticus 11. Whether it's in your reading, whether it's in what I've said and the encouragements, the warnings. And we just take a moment as you pause and consider would you like David pray? Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me.
Would you test and examine to see whether or not you are in the faith? Would you ask, Spirit, would you help me to make, to distinguish and make distinctions between what is good and evil? Lord, would you help me to be holy? But in the same vein, would you give worship and glory and honor to the one who takes that which is defiled and makes it holy? Once we are enemies of God, vessels of his wrath, now the Bible calls us children and friends of God, competent and equipped to do the work that God has given us. Would you respond to the Spirit's work? Father, you're so good to us. And we thank you for your word. Both law and gospel is found here in Leviticus 11 through 15. Encourage us to understand that you've called us to make very difficult choices, even in the mundane areas of our life, to make distinctions between good and evil, to make what is holy and unholy. Father, that can be difficult at times, hence why we come together as a church, why we come together in small groups, why we, why we come together as, as brothers and sisters of Christ, that we may grow and learn how to do so. Father, that you may be glorified, and that all things may work to our good. Make us sufficient for such things. We thank you for your word. Strengthen us as we do so. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.